Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. And our gospel lesson comes to us from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 22, beginning with verse 15. Let us listen for the word of God. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere, and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarii. When he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, It is the emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him, and they went away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and Redeemer. Amen. In today's Gospel lesson, the Pharisees and the Herodians plot against Jesus, and they try to entrap him in his answer to a difficult question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax? Jesus' response informs how we engage our responsibilities as Christian citizens living in a particular place, a city, nation, world, what we owe to the places in which we inhabit. But in addition to what Jesus says, there is so much to learn from how he says it. The Pharisees were the religious elite, experts in the law, people who stood a lot to lose from the grace-filled teachings of Jesus. Whereas we see the Pharisees throughout the Gospels always in conflict with Jesus, we don't know that much about the Herodians. We know by their name that they were supporters of the Herodian dynasty. At the time, Herod Antisipas, ruler of the Principality of Israel on behalf of Rome. Unlike the Pharisees, the Herodians weren't religious. They rejected messianic hopes. The Pharisees didn't want change of any kind. They feared it, but on the other hand, the Herodians thought that it would be productive for the community, and they encouraged more Greco-Roman advancements. Further, they sought to promote Rome in the Principality of Israel at the time. 
The Pharisees and the Herodians were on opposite ends of the spectrum in every way, politically, religiously, but they were brought together by their disapproval of Jesus and their fear of him because of the threat he was to what they wanted to maintain or achieve. When the Pharisees and Herodians approach Jesus, they attempt to flatter him. It's interesting to note that the Pharisee leaders who come up with this plan don't even have the courage to do it themselves. They send some of their disciples to do it. In any event, the Pharisees and Herodians greet Jesus with flattery. Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to them. At this, Jesus' ears are probably perking up. And maybe it's a moment to which you can relate. It's that moment in a conversation when you realize that there might be an ulterior motive. You're waiting for it, waiting for it. You know something is coming, perhaps some big ask. And then finally, they ask him, Tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax or not? Jesus is placed in a precarious situation. Jesus came preaching the gospel, the good news, the love of God. But that which requires our faith and ultimate truth must be in conversation with everything else. If he answered no, the Herodians would charge him with treason and sedition against Rome. If he said yes, the Pharisees would charge him with disregarding the very religion faith and devotion to God that Jesus spent his life teaching and living. When Jesus sent the disciples out into the world to teach and to heal through the various villages to which they went, he gave them this advice. See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Here, in his response to the Herodians and the Pharisees, Jesus seems to be heeding his own advice. In preparation for today, I did an overview of Matthew's Gospel, and I looked at how Jesus reacted every time he was approached by somebody. And what I see is that Jesus seems to give in return to what he is given. When someone approaches Jesus with a sincere and a authentic need. When people approach Jesus in sincerity, he responds plainly and simply. Take here this passage from Matthew's Gospel. A man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus in turn reached out his hand and he touched him saying, I am willing, be clean. It doesn't get any more straightforward than this. And immediately this person was cured. Repeatedly, when individuals in need approach Jesus, a people with a genuine need, not an agenda, Jesus responds directly, simply and plainly. He meets and answers their need. But, demonstrated here and elsewhere in the Gospels, when Jesus is approached by the Pharisees and the Herodians, a people not with a particular sincere need, but a people with a political agenda, 
Jesus doesn't give them a simple yes or no. He doesn't give them the simplicity that they refuse to give to him. In turn, he doesn't give them the simplicity that they so want from him. Instead, he answers them with a question. And isn't it always good to learn more? Aren't we sometimes too quick to take an opportunity to express what we believe rather than learning more about what somebody else believes and why they believe what they believe? In fact, if you look at the Gospel of Matthew, every time Jesus gives a parable, it is in response to the Pharisees and people who are trying to pin him down, not because they want an answer to sincere questions and needs, but because they want to find a way to persecute Jesus. Innocent as a dove, wise as a serpent, perhaps, but always rooted in God and in the love of God, and seeking to show it to everyone, even when it's not the right and popular thing to do. After demonstrating an awareness of the situation with which the Herodians and the Pharisees confront him with, by saying, you hypocrites, why are you trying to catch me? Jesus instructs them, show me the coin used for paying the tax. And Jesus asks, whose image is on the coin? And whose inscription is on the coin? Caesar's or the emperor's, they reply. Then Jesus said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. At this they were amazed, and they went away. These verses were called Jeremiah 29, and the message that God delivered to the Israelites as they lived amid Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, give your sons and daughters in marriage, and seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. Pray for the city in which you live, for it does well, for if it does well, you too will do well. Christians can fulfill our responsibilities to the places in which we live. We know this not only from the prophet's word to the Israelites in the Old Testament, but in the Gospels. Joseph and Mary went from Nazareth to Bethlehem, not because they wanted to, but because there was a Roman census. Further, in Acts 22, when Paul is about to be flogged and punished by Roman authorities, Paul invokes his Roman citizenship, asking, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Christians are citizens in the places in which we reside, or at least we are, and enjoy the benefits of citizenship. And as Jesus instructs us, we can contribute to the places in which we live. While inferring that one can give to Caesar what is Caesar's, that the imperial tax can be paid, Jesus doesn't draw clear distinctions between Caesar's kingdom and God's. This isn't some distinction of Plains theology where the eternal is separated from the temporal or the physical from the spiritual, because we see in Jesus Christ that he lives in a both and world. Rather, in a complex and nuanced way, in Jesus' response to those who tried to entrap him, 
he affirms the complete sovereignty of God by giving to Caesar that which has his image on it, Jesus is actually circumscribing and limiting the emperor's power. The tax and the coin used to pay the tax belong to Caesar, but the heart, soul, and mind, the devotion and allegiance of the one who uses that coin, that belongs to God. One is a tool, a means, The other is an end, the penultimate, the ultimate being God himself. The coin bears Caesar's image, and yes, it can buy this and that. It has its uses. But we, humanity, we bear the image of God. As the earliest verses of Genesis tell us, we are made in God's image. We are made in the likeness of God. This isn't to anthropomorphize God. It isn't to bring God down to us, though he does come down to us in Jesus Christ. But God comes down to us in Jesus Christ to also lift us up. And yes, that's for our salvation, but it is also to say that our character and who we are should also be lifted up. We should be more Christ-like and navigate the world according to ways that Christ lays down before us. Saying we are made in the image of God isn't about bringing God down, but lifting humanity up, all of humanity, because we each bear the image of God. In fact, we should all be in awe of one another and everyone that we meet. As C.S. Lewis states so beautifully, There are no ordinary people. You have never met a mere mortal. That is because each of us bear the image of God. By giving to Caesar that which has his image on it, Jesus circumscribes Caesar's power. And so while Caesar gets us as citizens, God gets the very essence of who we are. And all that is must be viewed through the lens of God's reality, grace, and love. When we consider God and his love for us, that is how we are in a position to navigate the world. And while we might respond to Caesar with our imperial tax, we respond to God with the thankfulness that cannot be limited, that cannot be filled in a way that can never be repaid. Bearing the image of God, revealing and sharing the image of God means that we must also bear the love of God. We bear, meaning we carry, are shaped by a love that doesn't leave us or the world simply as we are. Instead, we bear a love that wants us and others to flourish, that shapes, that challenges, and transforms us. God's is a love that doesn't get measured in an imperial tax. Instead, it is a love that demands our all, our heart, soul, and mind. It is a commitment that can only be fulfilled by devotion and faith. God's is a love that can never, ever be repaid. 
When Jesus responds to the Pharisees and the Herodians, he gives us that principle which must shape all our reactions. That we are God's. And that while we live in a complex and nuanced world, and that while sometimes our answers may be equally complex because our positions feel that way, the principle upon which they are all built is clear. That God loves us. That we all bear the image of God. And that all of our answers must be firm upon the truth of God's love and grace revealed in Jesus Christ. For each of us bear the image of God. We show the likeness of God in how we act. And we bear the love of God as we seek to be transformed by the love of God. This is the place where we must start and end the love of Christ, which demands our all. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.